Welcome to Ways to Love Your Money. I'm Elizabeth Dawson, and I'm so glad that you're here today. Uh, we're talking today about um, you know, retirement and financial fitness. Uh, we've got a great guest, Mr. John Stoy. We can't wait for him to actually tell you his story and uh, really his relationship with Wall Street from a very young portion of his career and now going from the institutional side now to the consumer side. And I think it's an important story to actually know. Uh, big question I always ask is, how well do you understand Wall Street? Most people will say, I don't. So now is your time to get a little bit more educated. And again, welcome back to season five. We'll be back shortly, so stay tuned. Do you have questions about Social Security? Let us help you maximize your Social Security benefits and minimize your tax obligations by clicking the link below to get your free Social Security analysis today. Well, welcome back. I have John Stoy here today from Verbatim Financial, and I can't wait for you to hear his story because our biggest topic today is going to be about what do you know about Wall Street? John had a huge history with Wall Street, being on Wall Street, and also working for institutional investors as far as ING and some banks. So I can't wait for him to kind of tell you his little nitty gritty about his story and what really makes investing in the world today or investing in the markets today so different. So thanks so much for being here, John. It's a pleasure to have you. And well, welcome. Thank you, Elizabeth. Thanks for, thanks for having me on. I hope uh, that we can share some knowledge with your with your listenership. Absolutely. And, and you know, John, I think it's really an interesting conversation that we were starting to have right before we got online. And that was about the fact that, you know, you have a plethora of a history. Uh, tell us a little bit about your early years being on Wall Street. Oh, you sure? Uh, well, so, I mean, I have been I've been pretty lucky. I was lucky in my career, uh, even just getting my first job. Um, <laughs> a lot of people work hard maybe to get break into Wall Street. Um, I got a call from a friend of mine uh, who was who was working on the street at the time. Um, and he said uh, to me, I didn't have a job that summer. And he said to me, um, can you get into the city? And I said, why? Um, and I lived in New Jersey. So he meant uh, getting into Manhattan. And, and I, he said, well, I, there might be a job here for you. And so uh, in 90 minutes, I was, I, I had put on, you know, I don't even think I had a suit. Uh, I put on a tie at least. And I went in um, and I guess they were desperate um, or I didn't, uh, you know, do anything too crazy in the interview. Uh, but I started working uh, on as, as, as an assistant on a mortgage trading desk um, back in 1992. So um, I just jumped right in uh, and I saw how trading desks work. Uh, I saw how Wall Street uh, was uh, really still a little bit connected, or I should say a lot connected to uh, the movies from the 80s, uh, from Wall Street and Greed is Good and all that kind of stuff. And, 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 and it really did happen. A lot of that stuff was, was based, sadly, on a little bit more reality than you want it to be. Uh, you know, traders would uh, talk about ripping the faces off their their uh, other side of the trade and things like that. And so um, it was a lot of fun for somebody in their 20s. Um, but but, uh, <laughs> you know, as you as you process through your career um, and you see how that business works, um, and especially now that I've I've come out on the personal finance side, um, you don't want to see your clients treated that way <laughs> by the street. And so so it gives me a lot of uh, it certainly gives me a lot of um, incentive to uh, protect, let's say, my clients and educate them. 
Well, I think that's an important kind of conversation to have because, uh, you know, everything illustrated, let's say, in Wall Street back in the day, you know, Gordon Gecko, the whole greed factor, um, movies like Boiler Room, uh, things like that, um, you got to experience that firsthand right, right down downtown Wall Street. You got to do that. So they just kind of threw you in, um, you know, with with nothing around you and they just said kind of go get started and, and do, you know, figure out how to do this. Is that, is that kind of how it worked? You know, I mean, I, 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 I exaggerate a little bit like that. So I was a trader, trader's assistant, which initially just uh, meant, meant writing down the trades as they were happening uh, in real time. Um, so, uh, you know, maybe a glorified secretary for the, for the first little while might have been a good way to think about it. But, but yeah, you know, eventually uh, I did uh, learn how to get on the on the phone with 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 other desks on other street firms and and you learn how to sense when they were uh when they felt they had a stronger position uh when they were trying to take advantage of what they thought was weakness on your point uh and 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 all of that um and it really you know that that experience on on the trading desks uh, led me to my next job, which was then um, on the investment banking side, creating uh, the types of uh, securities that I used to trade uh, prior to that. So I created mortgage-backed securities and, and asset-backed securities, um, and then moved from there. It's sort of a semi-natural progression. Um, at least it felt like it to me, I moved on to managing portfolios of those types of securities. Since I knew exactly how they were created, I could dig into them and and see whether I thought there was really value there uh, and things like that. So, and that's that's what led me uh, from uh, New York to Chicago and then down here to 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 Atlanta, which is where I am. Uh, and that was where I was managing money again for ING Investment Management. You mentioned. Um, and then I managed money for, for some SunTrust uh, again. This is all a bit before the financial crisis when that whole sector of the industry really blew up the whole, <laughs> practically the whole world. Um, and, uh, and I took a step back from finance when that happened uh, and, and, and you know, did end up opening a different type of company uh, and opened and sold a sushi company actually, uh, Ran that for about five years. Then was a stay-at-home dad, and about two years ago is when I came back into into finance on the personal finance side. Well, I mean that's quite a journey because uh, maybe there needed to be a break there. But now you're working on the personal financial side of the individual, and I know we were talking about even retirement, but also the costs that actually ends up in the consumer's pocket that they don't necessarily know that they're aware of. Um, I think that that would be inf you know informative for people to see and hear. So so how have you been able to translate from when you were on the institutional side now to the consumer side, and how you're actually um, e explaining and educating about their their knowledge about what they know about Wall Street now? Well, sure, that's a, and that's a great question. Um, the and I think one of the reasons that maybe we enjoy this uh, side of the business is that we do get to uh, educate uh, our clients. Um, that's fun for me uh, because, you know, Wall Street really does spend billions in marketing to convince people that um, they need X, Y, and Z and, they, and, and that 
they need to pay for it. They need to pay for active management. They need to pay for these mutual funds, uh, which have uh, higher fees. Uh, they need to buy this or that product um, or even individual stock. Uh, those are things that every time somebody touches uh, a, a financial product, um, they're usually getting paid something. And every time they get paid, the money has to come from somewhere. Well, surprise, uh, the only place that money comes from is from the end client. Uh, and it comes either in the form of, of, of fees that they're paying uh, or uh, reduced returns um, to, their, to their portfolios and their savings. And so, you know, if I can point out to people, okay, we want to reduce the number of people touching whatever you are uh, working with uh, every time that they do trades uh, in the active management accounts, they can result in tax consequences. They can result in, again, higher fees. Uh, let's avoid as much of that as possible um, so you can keep your own money in your own pocket. Uh, and the more you keep in your own pocket, you know, that's, that's pretty much the only guaranteed uh, return that we, can, that we can think of, as far as I know, is that you know, not spending a dollar is the guarantee that dollar stays in your pocket. Well, I mean, that's, that's good and well, but now we also have to deal with inflation and uh, higher taxes potentially. And there's so mm -hmm. many people that uh, all they do for their retirement is they put money into their 401k, their 403b, their you know, tax deferred account at, at their employer. So again, I always ask that question when I meet with someone, how well do you understand Wall Street? Because there are so many cost fees and expenses associated with it. And those are all transferred to you as the consumer. They're not necessarily kept by the company because they're looking for the profitability. So when you're talking to someone and actually helping them plan for retirement, let's say now on the personal side, um, how deep do you go into the cost? And maybe is there an average cost? I know that Forbes comes out with this every couple of years, the average cost of a mutual fund. Um, and they break it down by all the different uh, pieces. But I, I love the fact that you say anybody that touches it in the institutional side is getting paid and that, you know, it's either going to come, you know, in the, in the result of an expensive fee to the consumer or it's going to be a reduced return. Um, I think mm -hmm. that that's pretty fascinating to hear. I don't think our consumers know that. So um, if you're talking to someone that actually has a 401k and that's how they're investing money and not just keeping it in the cash in the bank account, uh, what would you maybe educate them about before they make decisions? Because they're 100% responsible for their you know, retirement now. Pensions are pretty much non-existent. So this, right. is, this is a very uh, strong conversation that people need to be having before they actually start to invest, I would think. Yeah, and, and you know, you, you hit the nail on the head before they even start. Um, but I think probably most of the people that you and I speak with, you know, have already started. They may have started 20 plus years ago uh, right. with their first job or their first job that had a 401k and they started putting money into it. And then maybe they moved from that job to another job and they left that 401k where it was and, and all that. Um, and maybe that, that maybe they did a fantastic job in 1998 selecting the funds available from that 401k uh, fund selection. Um, but a lot has happened since then. Um, things have changed within their lives. Uh, the industry has changed. Even the higher fee funds, frankly, are lower. <laughs> the fees are lower than they were 20 years ago, which is a very good thing. But if they're still in those, in those old 
funds, if those funds didn't transfer to some new uh, fund that, that opened up, then they're still paying fees that are way higher than market fees. And so um, one of the first things that I'll either do if I work with somebody or just suggest the, for the first thing that a person does is open up those statements that you get. Because we know they come in, we know we had this 401k at XYZ company. It's the money's still there. I glance at it every once in a while. I'll worry about it when I retire. Yeah. Well, no, right? Open up those statements, see what funds you're actually invested in and see if they still match um, the types of funds that you would like to invest in. Uh, and are you frankly overpaying because of the beauty of, of today's uh, world is that there's uh, a plethora of low-cost uh, index funds and ETFs that we can invest in. Uh, and again, more on the passive investing side versus the active investing side, keep those fees as low as possible. Uh, all those things can really help out over the course of time. Well, and I think that that's really important because the average consumer today doesn't necessarily know. And uh, I'm sure you've heard this. I've heard this many times where people say, I'll get my 401k statement. I just put it in a pile over here to the side of the desk and they don't ever look at it. Um, and that, mm -hmm. that kind of gives me cause for caution because of the fact that uh, there's still a love affair when it comes to people saying, oh gosh, this is in my 401k. But we've been through so many volatile markets since 2000. And well, even, you know, going from you know, the dot-com bubble, which was in 2000, and then in 2001, 9-11, and then 2002, we had corporate corruption where everyone was looking at their 401k statements and they were invested in a lot of company stocks and things of this nature, but then those companies went under and where did their retirement life savings go? Uh, mm -hmm. These are conversations I think we need to kind of resurrect sometimes because people are not necessarily aware. And I know you had mentioned too that you worked in like the mortgage-backed securities, but like in 2008 with the the major financial crash, basically, you know, they tied it to real estate, but there was so much more to it. Um, you know, banks uh, becoming very tight with money, uh, things of that nature. So so different than what we're dealing with today. Uh, maybe in your opinion versus uh, the opinion of the past. Um, I know what my opinion of it is. Uh, last year, that recovery was way too quick. Do you have any concerns about that? You know, it's very difficult to say. So we all have our, we all like to think maybe we have some sort of crystal ball. Um, I know mine is cracked. Uh, I've made plenty of errors thinking that I could look ahead and, and, and even on an educated way, basis, you know, make some sort of, of guess as to what I thought was going to happen. Um, you know, again, talking before we started, started the show, uh, I mentioned that one of the reasons why I left uh, finance uh, after after the financial crisis of, of a decade ago was was because I didn't think that the financial industry would recover anywhere near as quick as it did. And it and guess what? It did. I could have been on the beach waiting for a job for six or nine months and then gone right back to work. It's frankly what happened to a lot of my friends. Um, but this situation, I do agree, it recovered, you know, obviously very quickly. Um, we had lows last March or April. Um, and then I think since the lows, what have we seen? There, the, recently, people, they, because it's been a year since the lockdowns uh, started, people have been talking about 90% returns since the low. Well, I mean, that's all well and good, but 
people didn't make their full investment at the low. <laughs> Um, yeah. No, very few people time the market uh, like that. But um, yeah, we're we're we've we as in the stock market has recovered and appears to be predicting or assuming that um, that the economy won't have many uh, you know real negative impacts from the pandemic over the next two three years, which is what. They're looking out. Equity valuations are looking out the next two, three years um, to 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 price that into their pricing models, if you want to call it that. So, but there's still a big question as to you know how the pandemic will really go through the system. Um, does that and should that affect your retirement planning? Um, maybe has the fact that the stock market has recovered so quickly. Um, I know people are asking this question, is it going to affect returns going forward? Uh, mm -hmm. As you said, did it, did, it, uh, did it recover too quickly? In other words, potentially stealing from future returns. Uh, mm -hmm. Does it make uh, you know, assumptions for, for stock market equity and equity returns um, different than it might've been otherwise? Mm -hmm. No, no, I agree with that. And I think that there's some underlying things that are not being talked about um, in the world today. And I think, uh, you know, when you have so many homes, uh, mortgages that have not been paid for several months, maybe even a year, uh, even the moratorium on rents from the CDC, uh, eventually this is going to have an effect on real estate. So is it going to be another 2008? I don't know. But that is a concern of mine, too, because you can't have one without the other. And I've never been through a market correction of any kind that hasn't uh, had a hit to all major areas, not just the stock market, not just banks, but also, you know, when it comes to real estate. So those are the things that I think in the background are just being quieted because there's millions upon millions of homes that haven't had a mortgage paid in almost a year. So um, the pandemic is pushing it out further and further where they'll have to make up those payments. But are they going to be able to come up with a lump sum of that kind of magnitude? Yeah, the the way that um, and 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 I confess that I'm not uh, totally up on how servicers uh, or banks are going to uh, account for for catch up payments. Um, I, I know that uh, that in my pre previous life, um, that's one of the things we we looked at very hard was how servicers would uh, make payment plans for folks and how successful, um, they could be if somebody got behind on their mortgage. Um, but in a situation where people have been given permission to get behind, I don't know, it's going to be, it, it will be quite interesting to see, to see how that percolates through the system. Well, John, I am so glad that you've been able to join us today. I think this has been an eye-opening experience for people, just a different perspective. I think that uh, what I take from this as well, is, especially with the consumer that is out there thinking that they have a plan, but they don't know the plan and they don't know Wall Street that well, if 100% of their money is going into the market through their retirement plan, how is that really going to dictate? And uh, yes, that fast recovery was something of an anomaly. We're at all-time highs on so many different places. And is this going to be the future? Well, it can't sustain itself for the future being those high returns each and every year. But I think that there's a lot more education out there. And, and one of the most important pieces is getting that education, finding the right um, type of education, getting your knowledge in front of you so that you actually know how to make better financial decisions. 
Again, John, thank you so much for being on the show. It's a pleasure to have you. You know, I hope you'll come back. Um, great insight, and I think that our viewers and listeners are going to really enjoy it. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. As a thank you to all of our listeners, I would love to offer you a complimentary consultation with me, Elizabeth Dawson, and just click on the link below and you can schedule that time to meet with me. Take care. See you soon. Well, that was a great conversation with John. I hope that you uh, enjoyed it. Obviously, you'll probably have some questions about that. Please send your questions to questions with an S at Elizabeth with an S, Dawson.com. We'll be happy to respond to you, connect you, whatever it might be. Uh, but yes, I think there's a bit more of awareness and education that we need to have before we start making the commitment of doing the biggest responsibility of our lives, which is you know planning for our retirement and planning for our future. So we do have a question from the audience, and the question here is, what are some key steps to take to retire early? Well, one of the first key steps is to start saving early. The earlier you can save, the better. But think about this. This is a logic thing. Uh, if you're making $50,000 or $100,000, how much do you think you need to put aside each and every year to be able to accomplish your goals of retiring at a particular age? Because if you need to retire with $50,000 per year or $60,000 or $100,000 or $150,000 per year, we've got to basically do the math backwards. Um, from an inflationary standpoint and from a prudent withdrawal standpoint, it's about a 2% withdrawal. You've been hearing for many, many years about a 4% withdrawal, but there is a huge failure rate with that. If you're taking 4% of your money each and every month, each and every year, the fact of the matter is the concern is of the fear of running out of money. Um, another factor we have too, and this is why you want to start saving early, uh, is inflation. Inflation's on the rise, and as far as we know, taxes are on the rise. If you think taxes are lower today than they will be in the future, when is the best time to actually navigate with saving even more? So uh, there used to be a 10% rule, you know, tithe and save, right? So uh, saving 10% of your money, if it's $50,000, okay, I've got to save $5,000 per year. Well, if $5,000 per year, based on what type of return, is going to get you to that place where you'll have $50,000 inflation adjusted in the future and you'll be able to live a very long lifetime. 10% is just not enough. I've heard um, anywhere from 10 to 15% to 30%. Can you live off of 30% less of your cash flow and income from the gross amount of money you make each year? Well, if you actually are that committed to it, you might very well be able to retire earlier. The biggest things that you want to take into consideration, here are your income, here is your outgo, all right? My income's coming in. Is it going out as fast as I'm making it? Or am I able to actually hold on to a good chunk of it? The concept of paying yourself first is really key. Paying yourself first means pay paying it to an investment so that you actually have accumulation so you have something for retirement. Whether that might be for real estate investing, whether that might be stock investing or the stock market or mutual funds or uh, annuities to actually pay you an income in retirement, uh, your insurance benefits to create some tax-free cash flow in retirement. Those are all pieces to the puzzle and you want good diversification. You got to start somewhere because if you don't have somewhere to start, where are you going to go? Uh, but learn what your cash flow commitments are and really start to determine how important is it at what particular age do I want to retire? And the greater fear that we've all been kind of told that we're not going to have is social security which I think we'll still have it, but they're going to keep kicking the can down the road a further, you know, down uh, many more years for you to be able to get a full uh, retirement benefit. Uh, Social Security was never designed to be a retirement benefit, but it has turned into that. It's one of those 
incomes that comes in each and every month, each and every year. And if it's not enough to be able to cover your expenses of your monthly net, we've got to figure out how our investments can work harder for us too. I'm sure you have lots of questions about this. You're welcome to send questions to us at questions with an S at Elizabeth with an S Dawson.com. Be happy to answer them. Hopefully we can answer them on the show. So again, stay tuned. I thank you so much for uh, tuning into this show. It's been a great show. Uh, John was fantastic and just gives you a different perspective from the inside looking out. And I think uh, his perspective now helping the consumer is even uh, greater than it's probably ever been. So again, if you have any more questions about that, reach out. We'll, we'll touch base with you soon. Take care. We'll see you next week. The information provided in this show is for informational and educational purposes only. This show is not investment advice, nor is it intended to address the financial needs of any particular viewer. The opinions expressed on this show are not intended to be an endorsement of any particular investment strategy or service of any other kind. You must make an independent decision regarding investments or strategies mentioned throughout the show. Before acting on information in this show, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular situation and strongly consider seeking advice from a financial advisor.